Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. Tonight, uh, we, Seth and I both have just had our own recent road trips. And we are going to talk about driving slow cars. Yeah, it's not kind necessarily, of my jam. Not necessarily driving slow, but just driving slow cars. Yeah, driving slow happens too. So <laughs> that's. <laughs> you can't drive as fast as you could with a fast car, but you can drive a slow car fast ish. Fairly quickly. The The point is to drive it too close to the edge of its capabilities, which when we talk about, we'll talk about why we pick slow cars. That's sort of, I feel like if I drive a slow car, this is going to dive right into the philosophy of it. If I drive a slow car, I feel like I can get closer to the limits of the car yep. than if I'm driving a fast car because fast cars are terrifying and I always feel like I'm never getting the most out of the car. Um, and probably that's just an ego thing, right? It's like like if you show up in a really fast car and you're slow, everybody's like, oh, dude has a CTSV wagon and he's pretty bad at this. And and I only use that as an example because that's literally my life. But if you so what, show up... So what has your, your car history been like? If you give us a, a kind of a brief overview... Okay, so I started with terrible cars. Um, I actually started driving, for those of you who are in that that uh, mid-30s to mid-40s age range, I started with K-cars. Mm. So nice. Dodge, the whole variety, and, and Dodge Omni, so the, the whole family of 2.2 liter, 2.5 liter Dodge products, um, K-cars and Omnis and the Turbo Dodges and all of that was my start. And then when I got back into cars later on i had a first generation ford focus which i thought was brilliant and i had a with the the big triangle uh headlights was that the one yeah yep so this was before they made it made it uglier and they sort of like chopped the nose off which was a Mm. weird styling decision um so i got the one that looked like you know you could sort of pretend it's a two-door focus you could sort of pretend it was like the wrc focus that they were running at the time which may That's or may right, not be yeah. 90% of the reason I bought that car. Um, Hot boy points. Yeah, and that's the first car I autocrossed and rallycrossed and did all those things in. And then later on, I had a had a Volvo 240 wagon with a four-speed manual in it, which was one of my favorite cars ever that I probably shouldn't have sold. Um, that That Box is the wheels. very definition of a momentum car. Um, that was a great car. And then... When I got back into autocrossy type stuff, I bought a Mazda 2, which will should figure prominently in tonight's discussion. Um, mm. That car died. And then I bought a Mazda RX-7, which was an old spec 7 car, um, which is still around, which should show up in another Brian DeFreeze talk because uh, that car's been given away repeatedly. Um, and... Then the big one was I then bought a, a Cadillac CTS-V wagon. So that was 550 horsepower of GM's Insanity. And that that's, was that's actually That's quite the departure from your car history up to that point. <laughs> yeah, so that was my Hail Mary. That was my I'm a grown-up person and, and bought a, a real car. 
And I really just bought it to be awesome because everybody has a car that they want. They're like, I'll buy this car and it'll be awesome. And I'll drive around and I'll be awesome because I'm in an awesome car. And it was. The car had presence. You know, a black CTSV wagon. To those who know what it is, the car definitely has presence. And yes. it'll spin the tires it, at any speed remotely having to do with the speed limit. You just roll into the throttle and it'll spin the rear tires. And it's it's a beastly monster of a car. And that's the first car I ever did a track day in. And that's the first car I did one lap in. And um, that was the car that made me decide probably going really, really fast is not as fun as I thought it was. It's just really, really scary. Um, and the very specific specific thing for anybody who's driven at High Plains Raceway was when you go down, I think it's, so the front straightaway goes in front of the pits and then you go around a corner and then you do the back straightaway immediately after that. And then sure. you do, so that's like the big one. So you're going, in the Cadillac I was going like an indicated 140 at the end of that. And then there's a slight right and then a down, like a blind left downhill. Mm -hmm. And and I'm coming into this right at, at 140 miles an hour and I'm going to brake and I know that I've got this right and then a blind left and I'm trying to remember what's happening. And I thought, oh my God, I'm in a car that weighs 4,500 pounds and I have a three point seatbelt and I'm going 140 miles an hour and I don't think I want to play this game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, that track takes, uh, takes a lot of effort. There is yeah. so much elevation and blind turns, and you really have to know where that track is going to be quick there. Yeah. Let alone and if you're hustling a 4,000-pound uh, you know, wagon around that doesn't really like to change corner very, to change direction very much. For what it was, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, it They did an, an outstanding job making a car that would brake and turn and accelerate for the fact that it weighed like 4,500 pounds. But you can't defeat physics, right? Like when something happens, you're trying to correct a f just a tremendous amount of mass and you're trying to make this huge thing do what you want it to do. And that's hard to do. So I, at that point, I went the complete opposite direction and bought uh, an EF Civic hatch that was... Uh, an STS car and weighed, I don't know, whatever they weigh, 2,100 pounds or something. Weighed half Sopping as much as wet. it. Yeah, so it, it was it was, in, it was a, a legal autocross car, so it didn't have any cage in it, had no AC. Um, it was an inch off the ground. It was utterly brilliant. It was way better than I could ever be as a driver. Um, and I, I loved and hated it. Um that is, driving it on the road was just, uh, it was this sadistic punishment, this horrible, horrible thing you had to do to get any place. And then, yeah. and of course I live in Texas, so the no AC thing figured prominently into my eventual hatred of the car. Um, and to make it into what I wanted, which would have been to put AC back in the car and to half cage it and to, to get it, you know, two inches higher so that you could drive it say in and out of a parking lot without it scraping and, and do all of those things that made it into a real car it would have made it a much less good uh, autocross car um, and track car and it was just it was so good and so pure that I didn't want to ruin that 
Um, it, it would it would be like drawing a mustache on the Mona Lisa because you just thought she looked better with a mustache. Um, and so I actually sold it to, to Pete Lindbergh to work on his autocross dreams with. And he did some great phenomenal things with it and ended up on the cover of Sports Car with it and and did all those crazy Pete things that he did. Um, yeah. And what did I do next? Uh, I don't know. Eventually I bought the Accord. So now I have an Accord. I have a 2003 Honda Accord and uh, it's brilliant and I love it. And I'm, in a, I'm, I'm in a sweet spot. But it's it's also the, the four-cylinder. Two-door V6. No, four-cylinder. 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 For reasons. The the biggest reason being that it's the lightest shell that you could get in a Cordon. If you bought a V6, it came... It's heavier, but it also... All the V6s had sunroofs. And mm-hmm. I figured long-term building horsepower, and like building a good track car, it's actually easier to motor swap a car than it is to swap the roof skin since you're playing with since you're likely to play with drivetrains and blow up motors and do all that stuff anyway i thought i would start with the best shell i could and go from there um but it turns out uh, i don't mind the fact that it only has 160 horsepower um it's it's a good balance of of what it is It, it goes miata speed um and when when I have friends on track with Miatas, we all play together and go about the same speed and do all those things. So it's a it's a really fun car to have out on track with other people if you're going Miata speed. If everybody else is driving Corvettes, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, but everybody in a Miata is familiar with that, uh, doing that anyway and being out there and, and just getting beat upon by fast cars. So at least on so the straightaways. So that's my at least on the straightaways, which you know it's. Yeah, so that happens. But that's that's my car history roughly. And the the Cadillac is why I love lower powered cars. Um which is probably not as much a love of lower powered cars as it is an acknowledgement that I don't like higher horsepower cars. Um on track and autocrossing and doing all that stuff. I they're fun, but the things I like to do in a car don't get any better with a bunch of horsepower. And what's that? What do you like to do that doesn't get better with horsepower? Turn the car. That's the the whole point of track driving to me is figuring out how to do corners well. And it doesn't particularly matter how fast I go into a corner as long as I'm going fast enough that I can't go flat through the corner, then it doesn't matter if I if I entered the corner, you know, if, if I entered the braking zone at 140 or 110, if I can only go through the corner at, at 60, um, all I really did was, was burn tires and money and all that other stuff going fast on the straightaway. Um, like sure. you said, the you know, they, they pass you on the straightaway and they do awesome things on the straightaway and then at at worst, if you're doing well, you're going the same speed as them through the corners, uh, which is the fun thing to me. Okay. Sounds fair. You also or delusional, alluded, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you, you also alluded to earlier that um, there's something about getting closer to the limits of a car consistently. Um kind of on all areas you know we all we all talk about you know on a run or a particular race or something like that it's like i gave the car everything 
Like I've right. used all the car and that's virtually never the case. Um, why do you think that's easier to do in a slow car? I'm not sure. Well, I think the, the difference, part of the difference is if you, if you just look purely at lap times, the difference between somebody who's like okay in a car and somebody who's really good in a car is closer lap time wise in a slow car than a really fast car, at least in my experience. The guys who are truly properly fast in fast cars are just horrifyingly quick. Um, the things they do are, are really very scary, and the prospect of me getting close to that seems daunting. Um, and But if I'm in... So, like, if I do a lap in, in a similar fast car and I'm 10 seconds behind a guy who I should be with, that 10 seconds seems impossible. But if I'm in a slow car with somebody and I'm only, like, four seconds back, I'm like, okay, that, like, theoretically that seems okay. Even if the skill level between those two is the same, if that makes sense. The, the fast, the fast car scenario, slow car scenario. Right. And, and sure. I could be completely wrong, and I'm sure there's driving instructors out there who are telling me I'm just terrible at this. But, but my perception is that like psychologically it feels more possible to be less bad in a slow car um whether that's true or not it makes me feel good about myself and at the end of the day that's really the important thing as we've learned about you over you know this show being less bad at things or at least feeling like you're less bad at things is good it's good for you 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 enjoy that experience I do. I do. I just really, I just want to have fun. Like I'm not, uh, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm not, I'm not going pro racing. I'm not even going gentleman racing. Really the, my, my end game is to spend whatever absurd amounts of money I'm spending and be happy with myself. Because if I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a track weekend. I'm going to spend, you know, it's all done. I'm going to spend 600 bucks. I don't want to go home and be sad. Like, if I just want to be sad, I can stay home and be sad. I don't need to spend six hundred dollars and go to track and be sad. So, um, yeah, I want a car that that makes me at least feel like, yeah, I might be almost okay at this, and so I can be happy with myself at the end of the weekend. Uh, okay. And my Accord is in a good place for that. So, okay. So my we- my experience with cars. Um, so my father was a Chrysler dealer in the mid 90s early 2000s not a particularly glorious time for Chrysler Dodge but they had some cool cars you, know, so they um, had, you had the neons you had vipers oh, there's a couple interesting things so for my 16th birthday my parents uh, got me a two day car control clinic course with Skip Barber and that was up in the paddock of Road America which I would later go to on the one lap of America and subsequently for grid life and actually race there so it was kind of cool and the vehicles that they provided for us were neon RTs the, the first-gen Neons with the dual overhead cam, four cylinders. We had Dodge Dakotas, 
with bald car tires on them. And we had <laughs> second gen Vipers. And well, we were, one of one of those things doesn't belong with the other yeah. two. The, tr- <laughs> the truck. <laughs> yeah. Although oddly, of the cars I skipped in my list of cars, uh, first gen neon, single overhead neon, cam neon, and a first gen Dodge Dakota are on my list of cars I didn't mention. So it's kind of fascinating. Fair. Anyway, go on with your story. So we used the Dakotas on the skid pad because they were super long, super stable. And we had a, a couple, uh, basically two circles set up into a figure eight. And we just took turns basically drifting. And um, eventually, you know, they wanted us to drift around the entire circle both ways. Um, this is getting way off topic. And eventually, no, like perfect. towards the end of the weekend, I actually almost did a full figure eight, uh, which I was, I was fairly proud of. Um, the neons were the ones we drove the most for like autocross, breaking threshold breaking drills, uh, lane changing drills, uh, stuff like that. And the Viper was something that we brought out for the kind of larger autocross and great thing about vipers and gearing is you just put in second gear and you're good (laughs) from a standstill to like literally 90 miles an hour (laughs) well they have all the torque too right so yeah yeah and i was quickest which i was (laughs) pretty excited about that at 16 you were the quickest of everybody who went to car control school yeah and then i didn't uh and then i didn't do anything with it until i was over 30 so (laughs) (laughs) lots of talent talent squandered the usual story lots of uh lots of time so the first car i actually got to drive on the road was a neon acr first gen um great those are those are legit fantastic little cars um not fast but great gearboxes good brakes would do would do a tripod all day good fun and after that it was just kind of a smattering of cars but the neons kind of always always had a soft spot in my heart for those those little things i always how have we never how have we never discussed neons how this because i drove a neon to alaska with my sister like three people drove a first gen neon to Alaska and back and we've never talked about neons we're gonna have to (laughs) yeah this is is Um, a breakthrough in our relationship I like this and my dad and I were going to drive the uh, one of the country's first neon SRT fours in the I think the 2002 one lap of America Uh, I want to say Yes, because that would have been a 2003 model that would have been out, which I believe was the first one. And it was going to be a tight, tight timeline. And he went to the training early that dealers have to do to get, you know, performance vehicles and stuff like that. And Dodge uh, skipped over us (laughs) and didn't deliver the car (laughs) on time. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. But that was like my foray into like a small but... Not, I wouldn't say a fast car stock, but it was quick. And yeah, they were pretty quick. Lots of fun. So after that, I just I got to drive uh, first new first gen Mini Cooper S, 
which again was not fast but quick and it handled fantastic they absolutely changed h-stock autocross um i was trying to drive my focus in h-stock when the minis came out and a dude showed up in a brand new mini with hoosiers on it and we weren't playing the same game they were so much better than everything else when they came out those were phenomenal yeah good fun the supercharger makes just tiny little angry whining noises it was just oh it's you you can fit nothing on the inside not practical (laughs) but all the (laughs) fun um and then i drove just some real crap boxes around for a while and right before I graduated college, it's kind of one of those things, like I actually needed to buy a car at that point. And uh, Dodge was throwing all the rebates and uh, on top of my employee discount. And so I bought a five-speed PT Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> just not, like not the, not the GT, not the one no. with the turbo, but no. just like a regular... 2.4. I'm a 38-year-old woman. Oh, PT at cruising. youngest. At youngest. Yeah, yeah. because they had a demographic that bought those. Poodle skirts. Uh, yeah. And Beach Boys <laughs> music, largely. Putting, wood, and, putting the wood grain on the sides. Yeah, that was great. Uh, horrible. Uh, they <laughs> and the car was slow. It's not the slowest car I've ever owned. But it was slow, and it didn't really like to do much of anything. Its redeeming quality was how much crap I could fit into the car. Yeah, so anyway. Sir Mix a lot would have been a fan of those. Yeah, if you know what I mean. So I discovered that they, in fact, made a turbo version, and it was, in fact, much better <laughs> than the naturally aspirated version. And since I kind of needed a car that could fit a lot on the inside and i had this affinity for the neon srt4 i discovered i can have that both in one package hence the pt cruiser gt with the five speed so i got that i did all the things to it um i was deep in that world if you ever really want to go on a deep dive there's a website that really gave me a love for forums called pt crew uh, <laughs> and if basically at the time if you wanted to go fast in a pt cruiser like that was the forum there weren't many people but it was yeah. a dedicated fun group uh spent all the money on that car uh and kept track of it which i never recommend oh yeah no never ever keep track of what you spend on a car that's terrible no um and then you know, was in a relationship at the time, so we ended up getting the second car was a Saab 92X, which was the essentially a Subaru Impreza wagon, but looked way better and just right. had a bunch of Saab badges on it. Uh, that car was slow, but, you know, could pull itself out of a beach and kind of do off-road-ish things, which was kind of fun. But then the commutes were kind of getting longer, so we traded that in on a Honda Fit. Yeah, finally did something good. 
don't talk about the PT Cruiser like that. (laughs) 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 Um, And we'll we'll have to put up, we'll have to get some pictures and post them on Instagram and Facebook of all of our cars so people actually know the cars we're we're talking about. But this, this fits the slowest car I've ever owned by a decent margin. It says, like, I think they say that they came with 100 horsepower. There is no way it made 80 to the wheels. So what year is that? I'm trying to remember what the generations of fit, what year that would have been. So the code is a GD, and ours was a 2010. Eight. Okay. 2008, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, they just came... Uh, two or three years uh, in that generation super slow um, and a decent amount of room on the interior and just so happy to be turning (laughs) that car could not move out of its own way but so happy to be turning just made really made a commute delightful yeah and fun and I had that fit. I actually got, we bought that car when it had about 35,000 miles and I sold it just under 200,000 in the span That's a lot of, of driving. That's a lot of driving. In the span of like eight years. Well done. Thanks, thanks. And the car, besides some wheel bearings, didn't care. It was just great. Just fantastic. I mean, as loud as Radley, but some of that was, you know, because I did some basic suspension and, you know, motor mount like you do. Um, you know, just kind of make it a little bit more fun. But it was slow right. and it was delightful. And kind of sparked my desire to get back into or to actually go racing and get on track. But just wasn't quite the right time. So bought the, and actually right on the tail end of the fit is when I bought the Miata. And I bought the Miata knowing exactly what I was going to be doing to it. (laughs) And kind of apologized to the car when I bought it, saying you're going to (laughs) live a very different life from now on. It was and a nice car when you bought it, right? Like who the the poor guy who had it before you like really took care of it and Yeah, didn't drive it in the salt, didn't drive it hardly at all in the rain. Um definitely had some bumps and nicks and bruises on it, but the underside was flawless, really well taken care of. And then I bought sold the fit because the mileage was getting up there and bought my daily driver now. But even like with my turbo past and my affinity for cars like the Viper and, you know, many go fast things, I went with a slow car. And the I wouldn't say the Miata is a slow car. It's certainly faster than the B-Spec stuff, which um, is definitely going to have a presence here. Let, let's be honest, the, a, a stock NA or NB Miata, like a stock engined NA or NB Miata is slow. Like there's, we can talk it's about slow. how awesome they are, et cetera, et cetera, but they're slow. 
Yeah. Um, not B spec slow. No, not B spec slow. slow, which is a whole other world. But but yeah. if if anybody's like, yeah, maybe Miatas aren't that slow. No, they are. They're they're cool. definitely they're, slow. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but I did that because, and I guess we can talk about the situations in which you actually want to drive a slow car. Um, and for me, I think primarily it's for teaching, like it's to learn car control. And like we talked about with your history, about trying to reach the limits of what the car is capable of everywhere. It's to try to maximize every ounce of the car and what it's capable of at every corner, every braking zone, every straightaway. For me, that's where slow cars shine. Okay. Do you do you think you can do that? I mean, this is so, a loaded question because I know where I'm going with it. I mean, no, I can't get <laughs> I can't get everything out of a stock Miata all the time everywhere. But I was at the point because I ran the Miata simply with decent brakes and safety. And that's it. Stock suspension, stock engine, like stock exhaust, like stock. And just continental extreme contact sport tires, not even an alignment. Um, Just stock. (laughs) Alignment would have helped a lot. Yeah. Um, Just to be able to learn the feeling of the load transfer when you brake that all the load goes towards the front and then if you let off the brake abruptly like you don't just feel it like the car bucks right (laughs) it like jumps back like you just you're launching it from a dead standstill and then your turn in you can really feel um, how quick or how smooth you're being because the car lurches from side to side, transitions, you have to be quick, but you have to be smooth because the car just flops all over the place. And it really taught me about the friction circle in a Miata and how to really try to blend the corners from break from full braking to full cornering, and then from cornering, not so much from cornering to acceleration because it doesn't accelerate that much. Right. Um, But certainly on entry, trying to blend that stuff together and how to be smooth because you have to when your springs are like 200 (laughs) inch pound springs and just super soft because if you're not, the car gets unsettled again before it resettles and you just can't be as fast. And I wanted those experiences. Yeah, and with Miatas, the other thing is you're going to be on the bump stops. Um, yes. And, and the worst job you do, especially transitioning, it's a bigger deal with autocross than with track stuff because it's the transition back and forth that throws the car onto the bump stops hard. Um, yeah. That's why that's the whole the third cone in a slalom is where you'll spin thing because that's where you come across hard enough that the car just slams into the bump stops and loads all the energy onto the rear tire and, and lets uh, go. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So, um, oh, but like I was going to say, loaded question because because usually the 
better someone actually gets at driving, the farther they feel away from being at the limit of, of like holding the car on the limit. Um, if that makes sense, because the the sure. people who are are most like self depreciating about their driving are actually the people who are are good at driving. Not great, not like like Tom O'Gorman driving, but like like good drivers, like instructor level drivers are the ones who are like, yeah, I'm pretty bad at this. Yeah. And it's it's the new people who are like, dude, I'm so close. Like I'm right there at, at getting everything out of this car. And we'll we'll have to talk about that learning like bell curve at some point. You know, at the beginning you don't know anything, then intermediates right. you think you're God's gift to driving. <laughs> and right. then and then you you dip down almost to beginner level. You're like, crap, I don't know anything because I'm not good at this and this and this. <laughs> But then you slowly start to increase again, and that's like when you start to really know what you don't know, but you know what you do. And so, <laughs> but anyway, different podcast. But yeah, the yeah. um, and something that was has been hilariously fun is that the um, I think it was at one of the Gingerman events, we had one of our instructors bring a rental car, that poor poor rental car to uh, the track. <laughs> And all the instructors had a go at it for two, well, three laps. One had significantly more and may have hurt the car, um, but <laughs> may or may not have. I don't know. Not, They're not going to find out from me. I don't know anything. Um, but, yeah, it's really tough to drive a slow car fast. <laughs> Yeah, you can feel like you've got you're getting all of it out, but just because the tires are squealing doesn't mean you're driving it fast, right? But um, VW Jetta's better under brakes than you would expect. No, I would actually expect them. To, like most modern cars are actually until the until the pads start to turn to liquid. Sure. Um, and that's why They're we tried actually... to limit it to like the two, three lap <laughs> barrier. Right. So right up to the point where you turn the pads to liquid, modern cars are actually really pretty good on the brakes. Yeah, um, they don't suck like the, the 80s and 90s cars that we started driving with, which were just terrible everywhere and all the all the time. Um, it's... Yeah, braking is the one place they're good, and they sort of fall on their faces everywhere else. But um, yeah, I, I like fair. modern car brakes. Even even my Accord, which is in is a 2003. Um, the only problem I had with the stock brakes was the fact that they would get they would get hot enough that they were melting the backing plates. Like I could put good enough Holy friction cow. material on them that that the friction material would stay okay for the whole thing. But after a track weekend, you'd come off, and the banana, the backing plates were shaped like bananas. Um, That's they terrifying. Were just, yeah, but but they were like they they you never had appreciable fade. The fluid wasn't boiling. Everything was fine, and so that would have worked. Except you were spending whatever it is, two hundred bucks to put pads on every time. And I was I mostly put big brakes on as a way to not spend so much money on brakes. Sounds fair. Um. So you actually did one of those, did one of those things where I was like, I'm going to spend twelve hundred dollars on brakes, so I don't have to spend as much money on brakes. Was yeah. my excuse. It, it mostly worked. 
Well, and one thing about driving slow cars that we haven't really touched on either is the whole brain bandwidth conversation is that when you are driving a slow car because things naturally happen slower you accelerate slower you may be cornering quickly but your speed from where you start braking to your minimum corner speed isn't as drastic your brain doesn't have to do this giant leap 50 miles an hour and in, down into a braking zone. You're braking from right. 20, maybe 25 miles an hour. And then when you start to hit the throttle, you don't have 600 horsepower under your right foot. You've got maybe <laughs> right. 100. Um, and it just enables you and your brain to take in better visual information better auditory information be able to uh, especially again especially when you're starting to learn and i really think almost every driver can still benefit from driving slow cars yeah um but it just enables your brain to pick up far better information then you've got the time to process it think about your skills think about your background and then to take action in a clear, concise way that's going to get the most out of the car. Okay, so how come people don't drive slow cars then? I mean, you and I drive slow cars, but if I go to a normal NASA or SCCA event and I show up in the beginner group, there are not that many slow cars. I mean, not even as many as when I started doing this you know, six or eight years ago. Um, there, it's a lot of fast cars. So what's going on? I think twofold. One, going fast is really fun. Uh, <laughs> if you've <laughs> been in a car with more than four hundred horsepower, it's hilariously good fun. Like you squeeze the throttle and you giggle because you just right. have so much horsepower. Um, but I think the experience of what's fun in driving on the street versus on the track is very, very different. Consistently, when people ask, when I share that I drive on track, the almost universally the question everybody asks, well, how fast do you go? Right. Well, not actually that fast. I mean, I could tell them 130, but shoot you could do that on a back road in texas pretty easily i mean it's not that's not anything right. special going fast but then i take those people and i put them in the right seat of my car on track and it's immediately it's the braking that is completely different you yeah, know, it's it's the exact opposite of what you do on the street. Instead of like slowly increasing pressure on the street until you come to a stop, you're full on the brake immediately, and then you taper off as you blend into the turn. And that sensation of all of a sudden, like we're stopping, <laughs> like we are slowing down in a big hurry, to then as much cornering load as the car and you can do that sensation is very different now i think you add horsepower into that then you certainly get the the exit 
experience of, you know, having a weight on your chest pushing you into the back of the seat. Um, but for me, it's the, it's the braking and the cornering with a little bit. I mean, my car's not slow, but I've, not only, anymore, got, it's not. I've only got 200 horsepower, which in the track world is not very much. Right. And and I'm on the top end of I'm certainly one of the higher horsepower cars in GLTC and I've got 200 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay, this leads us to since we're talking about slow cars, you have well, you don't have, but but in the no. household is is I, a new, I do not have. <laughs> you do not have, and this is this. I, I could talk about uh, car shopping um, with with my wife and the the psychological battles I have with that. Mm. Um, but Becky has a new car. Becky does have a new car, and sometime we want to have Becky on so she can talk about her new car. Absolutely. Um, I am very excited about it, and I'm genuinely having a hard time keeping my internet searching and my <laughs> hands off of this car because I genuinely appreciate simple cars that are reliable and like to turn because again if we want to talk about bandwidth when you don't have to worry about tire wear when you don't have to worry about burning down the brakes when you don't have to worry about checking every nut and bolt every weekend to be sure nothing's run out, you can focus more on the driving and like how much fun it actually is because you're not worrying about the car. You're simply using the car as a tool to have fun and try to get better on track. Do we say out loud what the car is yet? Are we going to or are we just going to wait to, to get Becky on the show? I, I mean, she posted it on Facebook, so I think it's pretty public information. Okay. Uh, Becky got a Mazda 2, uh, firmly in the B-spec world, which includes Honda Fits, naturally aspirated Mini Coopers, um, the Toyota Yaris. Versus? Versus. Um, there were a few the other Sonic cars in there. It's the other one. Yes, the naturally aspirated Sonic as well. Basically, that right around the 21 to 22 um, to 1 power to weight ratios. And if you think a Miata is slow, these <laughs> are tragic. They, <laughs> Tragically they are slow. slow. Economy boxes are what these cars are. Um, yeah, we found it, kind of did some research, found... The one with the five speed, which was kind of a requirement. And uh, it's going to be her daily driver and track car and 2022 one lap of America hopeful to run with some buddies in B spec that we're going to kind of create a subclass for the one lap of America so we can all go slow and have hilarious good fun on track together. That should be fun. Hopefully, I can sign up for it and hang out with you guys. And I'm not quite in the spirit of the rules with with an accord, but um, I shouldn't be any faster than you guys, really. Uh, I think it'll so be fun. It'll be fun. I think I think Pete Lindbergh is definitely on board. Um, I know uh, several others who I think would certainly come out for that. 
And I'm kind of yeah. hopeful that at least, like, maybe on the last full track day, Brock will just line us up and then only give us, like, a five-second gap. <laughs> <laughs> so we just basically go wheel-to-wheel racing for, like, three laps and see how it turns out. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So, yeah, and um, and specifically... Becky chose this car because it's very lightweight. Even in the B-Spec world, it's one of the lighter B-Spec cars you can get, which means it's kind of easier to use the little power that it does have. It's got a great little chassis. Um, It's not quite as hilariously good fun out of the box as the Honda Fit was. I think it's sprung a little bit nicer. Suspension's a little bit better on it. Uh, but I think it's going to be every bit of the handler that a Honda Fit is. So we'll see. But it's black, and she has named it Mooncake uh, after a <laughs> an animated uh, character from one of her favorite shows. And uh, she, she likes it very much. Good. Uh, I, loved, I loved my Mazda, too. Um, it was... It was spectacular, and and had it not died an early death uh, at my own hands, yeah. it it would have been my that would have been my first track car. Um, I you, had every and can you give us the TLDR version of uh, what how there, it met its fate? There's some statute of limitations things associated with it. Okay, but okay, let's the the easy story is um, I was not on pavement. And mm-hmm. the end result was every body panel except the hatch had a dent in it, including mm-hmm. the roof. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And and so um, when it came to rest and then got tipped back over, it uh, it died. Yeah. Um, and it was it, it made me sad. Um, but that also um, I'm also slightly nervous about B-spec cars. For that reason, um, gravel traps, it did, this didn't happen to gravel trap. I was not on track. Um, but gravel traps in particular freak sure. me out with B-spec cars. They are taller. They are taller, and they anybody who watched B-spec racing back when they were doing pro racing is certainly familiar with the fact that, uh, was it the, uh, the Fiat 500s um, yes. were notorious for for loving to show the bottom of the car to the world. Yeah, and uh, uh, SCCA banned them. Uh, yes. For actually, I think still the only one that you can run, I think, is the Abarth. Right. For that specific reason. <laughs> right. So you know, I don't don't want to freak anybody out, but uh, yeah, I definitely do. Would not want. I mean, to everybody go... else would be fine. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I just, I, I, I'm, I, and you know, uh, my, I'm not so freaked out that I that I completely stay away from them. My my daughter has a a second generation Fit, a 2013 maybe. Okay. Yep. I think that's the year Fit she has that that is one of my favorite cars that we own right now. Um, in order to make sure that that it was running well, I actually stole it for a summer, the summer before I gave it to her, and uh, myself and my two kids went from Houston to uh, Key West to the northern tip of Maine 
and then to Michigan. We took a three-week trip in it, and we drove it everywhere, including up Mount Washington and uh, both directions on Tail of the Dragon and everywhere. Um, yeah. And so I kind of have have a deep love for Fitz and, and all those all those B-spec cars. All, anything that you would call a crappy hatchback is in my zone of, of I love you. Um from the and, very first days think, when I drove Dodge Omnis and and I think we would be remiss to mention um, I think that's what's part of why we're extolling the virtues of slow cars if you've ever watched the original Top Gear and when they had F1 professional F1 drivers theoretically the pinnacle of driving gods on this planet (laughs) and they would come to top gear to have a little interview they would all have a go on top gears test track in uh it was a few different cars the kia c apostrophe d and i forget what the one before that but again tragically slow cars and to see what these guys could do in it was pretty awesome (laughs) it was to see these cars really do things that they the designers certainly did not have in mind was really cool and to see how seriously they all took it and these little things challenged them sure they had tons of time to think and chatter because they're going so slow their brains have tons of time to think and (laughs) babble but I mean, you still had to drive them and figure out what they were good at and what they liked. And I think that's the virtue of a slow car is that you've got the time to where you can really reach that apex of what they're able to do more often and have time to think and review and just the enjoyment, the sheer pleasure of driving on track. Um, Sometimes you you just have more time to enjoy it which honestly is why miatas are great as well that's i mean that's aside from the fact that it is a really good chassis um they they hit that sweet spot where you've you've got a good chassis you've got a reliable car um cheap consumables and it's right in that that speed window where you can really learn to be a good driver um, it, it's not so slow. It's not like you're you're driving a, you know, '67 Triumph that that struggles to reach <laughs> right. 80 miles an hour. Right. Um, so it's not that slow. Um, but it's it's slow enough that that you can think about stuff, but it's still quick enough that you can enjoy it. And the people who drive them fast are quick in them. Yes. So. Um, yeah. It's just Miatas don't work for daily life. No. For for everything, you know, I, I I've had a couple Miatas, and as much as I love them, um, the reason I still have my Accord instead of having one of the Miatas is that the Accord is better at being an automobile. Yep. Than the Miatas were. Um, and beast, most B spec cars, you can put a spare set of wheels and tires, camping gear, food, helmet and tools, all in the back. Drive to the track drive it on track, pack it up, and drive home. 
Yep. And the number of tools you actually need are like a lug nut torque wrench and maybe like a 10 millimeter socket. Yep. That's, that's it. Really it. Yeah. My car needed, my car needed nothing in the time that I owned it. Yep. Um, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. And in my case, there was uh, a lot of uh, car seats involved when I owned mine. Um, we were still uh, a bunch of front-facing car seats, but I had four kids, and I very frequently had me and all four kids in the car. Um, and it was just all of us just wailing around in this Mazda 2, and it was phenomenal. Um, good fun for everybody. My kids still fond, my big kids especially, fondly talk about the Mazda 2. When we see one on the road, they're like, Mazda 2s, those are awesome. So, Well, tell us what your favorite slow car is. Uh, we all have our supercar posters and dreams of cars that we don't in the future but what's your what's your favorite really slow car um, is it the dacia sandero i don't know um <laughs> but yeah we'd like to hear um let us know in facebook or instagram at track walking podcast we are part of the track tune family of podcasts at tracktune.com and if you're enjoying this or not, leave us a rating and review, uh, you know, like everything. And that, that does help uh, the visibility of this podcast. And we will be back next week with an interview that we're both excited about. So uh, in the meantime, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we will talk to you next week. Take care. Take care.